0: Welcome back to the NBA Finals Preview here on 1140 The Bet. Adrian Hernandez here with someone I've been waiting to talk to for a minute and glad we got him on the show. With us now is Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. He's also the host of the Please Don't Aggregate This podcast. And apart from being a newsmaker, he's also an author of the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League. All Insider Calls are brought to you by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download your BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. First and foremost, Jake, welcome to the show, and how are you doing? I'm
1: doing well. How are you? Thanks for having
0: me. No, we're doing good. Uh, we kind of sad that basketball's going away, at least, you know, on the court. we still got the draft and free agency ahead of us. But as we start this, I want to ask you, and, and no better person to ask than someone who who literally wrote the book on tanking. And and it's been interesting especially this year, when you consider it's been a long path for Boston, but they've kept that core that they've drafted. Golden State, throughout its iterations of being dominant and the surprising team and throughout this era of Golden State, they've kept their core. And even this season, with surprise teams, whether it was Memphis or Cleveland, Minnesota, some of these teams that were really built by the draft, and as opposed to trying to do the Big Three mentality. Is that something that was just an oddity this year or something that you see teams moving on in the future uh, trying to replicate?
1: You know, one thing that's kind of become a bit of a a theme of late around the league is superstar players kind of taking back the power, taking greater agency in requesting trades, trying to get to situations that they find more advantageous for themselves in their career. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, tanking, rebuilding, trying to build a team organically, um, that seems to be kind of the team's natural counter effect or counter punch to that where, you know, like, and I've talked to a couple Memphis Grizzlies executives this week, for example, and they've talked about how, you know, that building a situation where players would want to stay is something that, you know, they feel like, is a competitive fire against, you know, bigger markets like New York or L.A. or Chicago. So I think that's kind of why um, potentially we've seen that success, um, you know, from teams that have have built year after year so far um, in this postseason being – or not so far, I mean throughout the whole thing, obviously. um, You know, teams are really trying to build something that is sustainable even more so than ever before. Um, with the fear of potentially losing guys in free agency.
0: And do you think that, like, for instance, Giannis, there was a lot of rumors, or maybe it's just Warriors Twitter, that like, yo, Giannis is going to go to Golden State, and he still stays in Milwaukee, that some of these things, like you said, Memphis is trying to build something that's sustainable, Milwaukee, Phoenix, you know, some of these smaller markets. Like, now more than ever, it doesn't necessarily matter where you are because you can be a superstar wherever.
1: Um, yeah, I think, you know, with Giannis, he's a really good example being that, look, if they didn't win the title last year, there was a really good chance that he did not, um, you know, resign there or, or, or that he would have wanted to force a trade elsewhere. Um, that's kind of the new, um, situation that teams are looking at here where, you know, Ben Simmons, for example, signs a, a long-term extension, um, with Philadelphia and turns around and requests to trade pretty, you know, significantly, you know, pretty soon right after. So, um, but if you can build a winning team, a lot of it comes down to, to winning. If you can build a winning um, situation, you know, when the Bucks lose in the second round this year, then it's to talk about, you know, how do we get back to that level? How do we get back to, um, you know, competing for a championship like they did the year before? So winning is really the ultimate elixir.
0: Love to love to hear it. Um, as a small market Cleveland Cavalier fan, I hope we keep winning so we can get some good players. But anyway, uh, I want to move on to the finals, uh, and specifically your moment with Draymond Green um, after the game, where you asked him about his podcast. Now, even before I realized the the next morning, I realized that you were the one that asked the question. I was kind of like, "What do you mean? This is this is something that everyone's wondering about, and and it's just interesting and unique." Um, for those that said, why well, even ask the question? Uh, what would be your rebuttal?
1: So the only reason I asked the question was because I, I knew Celtics personnel were listening to the contract or, or, or to the podcast. So um, if they weren't, and I wouldn't have asked. But the fact that someone like Draymond, who is so touted for his high IQ, um, is so touted for being a, a generational, you know, defensive player. Um, the fact that he is speaking unfettered for 30 minutes on a podcast after every single finals game, it's pretty, you know, it's it's literally an unprecedented thing in NBA history. And it's pretty fascinating to me. Even if he's not giving, you know, insider trade secrets to the other teams, you know, he's saying something that's a data point for Boston to think about. Um, and so, you know, I, I was trying to get some credit for how valuable the podcast he's putting out there, he clearly heard the word X's and O's and latched onto it and wanted to kind of punch down a little bit. Being that, you know, I I think a lot of people in the media try to um, exert their basketball knowledge into a situation rather than asking players questions. But I I was just asking, I I was asking for him. um, uh, And I, I was asking for his, his viewpoint on, Potentially the thought that Boston people would be listening and gaining at least something of insight from what he had to say.
0: And like I said, I I thought it was completely valid. And also, you know, whether it's X's and O's, it doesn't take much to be bulletin board material, uh, even on the slightest, the slightest opinion, which is why. I was kind of like, why are you being so naive about it? But it is what it is, but I, I just wanted to give you that moment because I saw a lot of that, and I was literally on Twitter uh, getting into some of these arguments that I probably shouldn't have, and then the next morning I was like, oh, it's Jake, what? Um, but but moving on to, you know, what are we? We are two weeks away. The 30th, June 30th is when free agency opens, and I guess my first question uh, that I want to ask you is probably the most fascinating part of this whole playoffs Uh, with the league, which is the situation that DeAndre Ayton is with Phoenix. First and foremost, what was your take, or how do you feel about even just game seven of DeAndre only playing, what was it, the 16 and 17 minutes, more importantly, getting into that argument with Monty Williams, coach of the year, and then now where things stand where it kind of seems like he's not coming back.
1: It does you know, I just put out a story on Bleacher Report right now, um, a couple minutes ago, you know, that says it does seem like the most realistic landing spots for him are Atlanta, Detroit and Toronto. Um, you know, I know Portland mentioned, but that seems to be like more more of a situation where Ayton was a, a, a player on Damian Leonard's wish list, if you will, but the Blazers from my understanding, um, are expected to retain Yusuf Nurkic as their starting center. Um, so I, I think, for looking at eight scenarios, Atlanta, Detroit, and Toronto are are you know the, the the real horses in that race. There's also been some talk of late about a potential sign and trade um, with Indiana for Miles Turner, but we're, we're, that's definitely getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because those conversations can't happen yet.
0: Ah, uh, th- and, and, and thank you for that. And in terms of 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 everything else going around the league and, and some of your stories. And I know that I just, I just clicked on your article right now and you're not lying. It just dropped three minutes ago. Uh, if you could basically give me just like a, like a short synopsis of what's going on with Philadelphia, which was the bulk of this story that you just released here on Bleacher Report.
1: So I've been hearing for a while from people around the situation. And then I finally got in touch with some people directly involved this week, um, that it looks like, you know, James Harden is not going to sign a five year, a four year deal to stick around in Philadelphia. It seems like it's going to be a shorter term agreement. Um, from my conversations, I'm expecting it to be something like he opts in for next year um, and then signs a two year extension or, or he doesn't opt in and then uh, signs a three year deal. But I also think he likely will wait until August to fully resign because. Then he gets a little bit more money based off of the cap because they traded for him in February. You have to wait six months till after trading for him for Harden to be able to receive eight percent annual raises on the contract rather than five. So that is something uh, I'm expecting to see uh, moving forward here. Outside of Harden, you know they're definitely exploring Matisse Thybulle, Danny Green trade, set number 23 and Tobias Harris is definitely consistently going to be a name uh, that I think we hear about in trade conversations.
0: Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report joining us. He's the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tank and Era, Era, excuse me, Changed the League, and he's also the host of the Please Don't Aggregate, this podcast. I know recently you had TJ Jones on the show who covers the Utah Jazz for the Athletic, and the Jazz are another one of these teams that are going to be one of the more interesting situations this offseason here, being so close here in Las Vegas. We have a lot of Jazz fans. So, you know, and Donovan Mitchell kind of flirting in Miami with Jimmy Butler. It, I, I thought I was from the understanding that when you look at Rudy and Donovan Mitchell, that Rudy was the easy, quote unquote, easier contract to trade. And Donovan still has three years left. So basically, where do we stand with the Jazz right now? And, and what are they trying to do moving forward?
1: You no, know, the Jazz are going to explore a lot of options for Rudy Gobert. I'm not convinced he is actually going to get dealt, but they're definitely talking about him with various teams. Um, from there, uh, you know it's just, it's going to it's going to be a matter of if they really do think they find a deal that, that keeps them in playoff contention, championship contention, and maybe even makes them a bit better. You know, if it's something with Atlanta where they get back Clint Capella and a wing player, um, or maybe more. Um, you know, something with Toronto where they get back OG on a newbie. But those are kind of the scenarios that I think make the most sense for the Jazz. But um, at this point in time, uh, I-, I think it's going to be hard for the Jazz to really find a deal that meets their asking price outside of Atlanta. You know, I, I think ultimately getting pro defense, but also keeping, you know, a, a real stalwart center. You know, it's going to be a challenge outside of any team that really besides the Hawks. The Hawks are the most motivated team right now in the league to make pretty sweeping changes. Um, So I think that's kind of the Jazz's best opportunity. You know, with Mitchell, they want him to be the centerpiece of hosting the All-Star game in February at Salt Lake City. That's been made pretty clear to me. It's kind of like a Cleveland
0: Cleveland vibe this early this year with Darius and Evan and Jarrett, right?
1: Exactly. And they want to keep him long-term beyond that. So I think ultimately um, there's going to be, um, you know, a, a lot of effort to try to placate Donovan to make him happy, but also with Danny Ainge involved now, I'm really curious to see, you know, the outcome of the coaching search um, is going to really show us a, a pretty key data point on, on how this team is going to be built moving forward as it pertains to Donovan Mitchell and, and what he you know purportedly desires in Utah.
0: And, Jake, we, we appreciate uh, everything, and and I know we're in the middle of the NBA Finals, and you got to get out of here. So just two more quick questions. Uh, number one, for the casual NBA fan who is going to go next week, oh, snap, the NBA draft is here um, from, from an outside perspective. Uh, what should we expect in terms of will there be a lot of movement? Are some of these teams going to move up, try to use these picks um, to pick up good players and make trades and things like that?
1: Now, I've been saying we're going to see five to seven trades in the first round. Ooh. We've already seen two, where Denver, you know, traded for the thirtieth pick with Oklahoma City, and last night Dallas traded the twenty-sixth pick um, for Christian Wood to Houston. So that's already two. We only, we only need three more to get to five. And I definitely <laughs> think you know, with Portland looking to move seven, Sacramento's definitely taking calls on four. Um, then you got you know the Hornets down at fifteen are, are apparently. Uh, You know, that that pick is available. Um, From there, uh, you got New York looking to move up at 11. Washington said to be listening to call it a 10. You go down the list, the Spurs have three picks. The Grizzlies have two. Um, So there's going to be, I think, a ton of movement on draft night. I think a ton of veteran players um, are going to get moved as well. And uh, it's going to have pretty dramatic impacts on free agency, being that, I think, this Portland seventh pick, and and their trade scenarios. Um, you know that's that's holding up the Rudy Gay, the OG Anannuity, the Jeremy Grant, the John Collins vortex of all those potential trade candidates. Um so once that domino falls, it, it could lead to another ripple effect of potential outcomes
0: and Jake, like I said, I'm from Cleveland, so I got to ask you a very specific Cleveland Cavaliers question. Colin Sexton. Uh, specifically with Colin, it's interesting and in something that's been brought up through this playoff run. Uh, for years we talk about how Rudy Gobert uh, in the playoffs kind of gets singled out and played off the court because teams game plan to attack him specifically. And in some of the conversations that I'm seeing on the flip side, you know, Colin's an undersized guard, so teams are going to try to attack him. And I think that in this playoff run it kind of became very evident. And obviously Kelly, uh, Colin excuse me, can get buckets. And is he willing – to kind of take a pay cut or around $10 million to stay in Cleveland. And I know we've heard reports that the Lakers are interested, but I guess what's the latest that you're hearing regarding Colin?
1: Yeah, I think he's going to have interest in several teams, um, or from several teams. Detroit and Washington get mentioned the most frequently, but the Cavs do have interest in bringing them back. That number um, is definitely, uh, you know, between ten and fifteen, I think, is a number that the Cavs certainly would like to have him on, being that there's gonna be uh obviously, you know, a very expensive payroll there moving forward there is Carlin about to get extended and uh, Evan Mobley will will eventually do.
0: You so, love to see uh, it.
1: I think <laughs> yeah, I think getting Colin on a on a lower term deal is certainly what uh, the Cavs are hoping for.
0: Uh Jake Fisher joining us one more time the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. He's a newsmaker for Bleacher Report and also his podcast. Please don't aggregate this podcast. By the way, the last month, the guests have been phenomenal. Jake, before we get you out of here, do you have time for one more question? Hit me, man. Look, I'm not trying to downplay Boston. They've come down 3-2 two times in a row. Making it three times seems extremely difficult. But on the flip side for the Warriors – how does their offseason change depending on if they clinch tonight before Game Six or on Sunday for Game Seven and win this championship or if they end up losing to Boston?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think much really hangs in the balance for what they're going to do depending on, on their outcome. I think, you know, Jordan Poole is someone that's going to have to address at his extension. Andrew Wiggins is someone they're going to have to address with his next contract. But this is a team that is fully, uh, you know, designed on competing for the championship around Stephen Curry with Klay Thompson and Draymond on green still in the fold. So that's where things stand. And that's pretty much where everything's going to be. Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report
0: joining us 1140, the bet, Las Vegas, Jake, thank you so much for the time.
1: Appreciate it. Take care.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.